Cult Collectibles is the number one site for historical items from the People's Temple, Heaven's Gate, Om Shinrikyo, and many other cults that you never even knew existed. Hundreds of hours of work have gone into curating our collection of unique and one-of-a-kind items from the dark history of these groups. We also have a large selection of true crime memorabilia from such notorious cases as Edmund Kemper, Jeffrey Dahmer, Charles Manson, and many more. We add new items to the site every week and post sales and auctions on our Instagram at Cult Collectibles. So visit us on the web at cultcollectibles.org today. And welcome to Halloween edition yes. of Sick on Cinema. I'm one half of your boy. You need to go spend some money at that awesome place, cultcollectibles.com. Podcasters, John. <laughs> I'm the other half, Matt. And yes, this is Halloween. It's the spooky season. Happy Halloween, motherfuckers! Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, best time of the fucking year. Yeah. Unless you're sick of shit like me. Well, yeah. yeah. You got a size infection? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I had COVID. Yeah. You got tested a couple times. What? What? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's Halloween, and we wanted to give back to the listener base that has been nothing but amazing to us since yeah. we've come back from our hiatus. Yeah, thank you all so much. So we were like, let's give them two episodes. Yep. And what better way than to sit down and have a chat with a super fucking awesome guy. Oh, yeah. And talk about some cool, weird shit. Mm-hmm. That's what we do here all the time, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, if you don't know, cultcollectibles.com is one of the... I'm not, no, no, I'm going to say the premier yeah. true crime, cult, horror, murderbilia website on the market. I, I mean, what started off as, like, just about cults has really expanded into just everything, really. Like, you can get, like, rare movies. Cats going crazy. <laughs> you can get uh, rare books. You can get... Rare, uh, just rare items in general. Yeah, and a lot of times for pretty good price. You can get the episodes of the Omshin Rikio anime. Yes, so you can buy his uh, fucked up mixtapes, which we yeah. talked about a little bit. Yeah, so it's like you know, he he's awesome. He's always been really supportive of us. Yeah, so we want to have him on to talk about mur- uh, the world of murderbilia. Yeah, it's a fascinating world. Yeah, and we talk about movies too. So don't worry if you're oh, like, yeah. oh, I like this because it's a movie podcast. Yeah, we talk about movies as well. So oh, don't yeah. worry. But a uh, great interview. Oh, yeah. It was really fun. I was sick as shit when we were doing it, so I sound terrible. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, he's amazing, so we're going to not waste any more time, and we're going to kick it over to Cult Collectibles, and we're going to talk about Moida. Moida. And I hope everyone out there has a great Halloween. Have a happy Halloween. If you listen to this on Halloween, awesome. If you're waiting until after Halloween, understandable. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> But yeah, thank you all for being so kind to us. Yep. And go give Cult Collectibles some love. Give all the people that we've Give him your to. money. Give him your money. Give him your money. Um, Yeah, give all the people we talk <laughs> about on, on the... Whoa. My bad. <laughs> uh, give everyone who we talk about on this show some love. Yeah. Because they deserve it. Yep. So we're going to kick it over to Cult Collectibles and this fantastic interview. And we'll see you all next time. Yeah. Yeah. Got a friend? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess the best place to start this interview out is where we would at any of them is what got you into true crime in general? Um, it, it probably evolved from horror movies, honestly. From I was super into horror movies when I was a kid with my little brother, which I feel like is where a lot of people start out, actually. It's just like watching with a family member. Um, we were super into horror movies, and then I got into like other kind of dark stuff. I was looking at like Rotten.com, you know, and all the all the shock sites and all the, all the things like that from when you're um, 
becoming like an edgy teenager. Uh, and then true crime evolved from that. Um, I was really into Ramstein, and they have a song about Armin Midas, the German cannibal. I started looking into that case, and I started sort of picking up books whenever I found a true crime case or a cult case that was interesting, and then uh, just went from there, essentially. Just like whenever anything came out that was interesting, I would research it, and it just kind of spiraled and became a, uh, one of my main hobbies. Yeah, um, so when did it transform from just, like, reading about and being interested in to starting to collect stuff and to try to find actual pieces of these crimes and from killers and stuff like that? Um, that was probably, I, I keep saying five years ago, but it might be longer than that because I've been saying five years for a long time. Um, I was really into Jonestown, researching Jonestown, and I started looking into, like, hey, they were around people's temple for like 20 30 years or whatever like a long time they must have like flyers and pamphlets and letters and just all these things out there that people can get their hands on that you don't really see very often um i found an envelope on ebay uh for the people's temple location in san francisco and then i started thinking oh well you know i can buy old newspapers and magazines and um Movies even, Guyana Calls of the Damned, that just came out on Blu-ray, I think, but uh, I had a DVD of that uh, much earlier, um, and I had some lobby cards from that, and I was just sort of looking for Jonestown stuff specifically, and at a point it gets to where you can't really find much else, right? Like, I find stuff now, but every six months I'll find an item, every year maybe. So I started looking into Heaven's Gate, and then getting Heaven's Gate stuff, and then... Um, through Heaven's Gate, I met some people who were collecting, and I got stuff from them, and they would want things from me, so I started kind of specifically buying things I knew people were looking for so I could trade for things I wanted, and then spiraling from that kind of naturally, it just started into this big collection where I have <clears throat> true crime stuff now and all these different cases and all these things that I uh, have for inventory in the store to trade towards other things that I'm looking for. Before you got into the Jonestown stuff, were you aware of, like, the quote-unquote murderbilia market? Was that something you were aware of already, or did that kind of get you into that? Um, I had, like, a very rudimentary knowledge. Like, I knew that, I knew about, like, the John Wayne Gacy paintings. I had seen them before and heard about those. Um, and I knew some people dealt in letters and stuff, but I didn't, I didn't know anybody who did it. I didn't really, um... And in Canada, and in Canada, I think it's a bit less of a, um, there's a lot less collectors, a lot less people who deal in this stuff, so I didn't know anybody locally even. And then, yeah, I, I kind of learned that as I went along. I was in some Facebook groups where people were trading items, and then I found Facebook groups where people were selling things, and then I found websites where people were selling things, and then I realized, like, it's not just, oh, you know, you go to one true crime website and you can find everything I have to get. I have to look on on true crime sites, on eBay, on different auction sites, and like thrift stores, kind of uh, Japanese auction sites all over the place to try and amass a collection. What You know, I'm a big movie collector. Was it similar to like when I first started my collection where it was like, I never thought it would grow into what it has. Like it was always like, I just want the one things I have, but after that it just exploded. Now my collection is huge. Was it kind of like that with you where it was like, all right, I just want this certain thing, and then it kind of just grew and grew and grew? Oh, yeah. I, well, I, I've kind of been like that my whole life with collecting. Like, I've always been really into thrifting. I would always thrift things and make little collections of stuff. And then I got really into trading cards. Um, I collect Pokemon cards and then Magic cards and all these different things. Um, and all of those things end up getting out of hand over time. For me, at least, for, like you're saying, even with movies, I've got a huge movie collection, too, because I'll get a few things and then say, oh, well, I need to finish every single thing in this set. Um I need to get different variants of this thing. Uh, so it was similar to that, yeah, where I, at first I was getting, like, small items. At first I remember uh, uh, buying a Heaven's Gate item that I think was $700. And I was like, that's crazy. I'm never going to spend that much money on anything again. Like, it's it's wild to buy that kind of thing for, for my collection. Um, and then it was like, now $700 is... is nothing for now that i'm running the store i'll spend that 
in a day without even thinking about it. Like, oh, I'll grab these things. This will be good for the shop. This will be good so I can trade towards this item, which I can sell for this much, you know? Um, yeah, it's really, it's like a, it's like a snowball thing where, like, when you first start, to compare it to horror movies, for instance, when you first start collecting, you, you'll look at, oh, you know, there's, there's, um, Arrow has cool horror stuff, and, uh, uh, uh Shout Factory has cool horror stuff, and then you look into, like, the more, the more boutique labels, the smaller ones, and then you're looking at importing stuff and getting, like, different editions, and then you look towards, like, getting, like, original Japanese VHS tapes, which are, like, $100, like, it's all got <clears throat> kind of levels to it, you know? You can stay at a certain point where you're just getting, like, smaller things, but eventually, once you start getting into it and looking into it more, you just want to have, like, your, like, original guinea pig VHS tapes, you know, your Death Files VHS tapes, like, you want to get the coolest things there are, or you, you just end up at the point where you can't, there's nothing else to buy or to look for except for the premium, like, high-level cool stuff, you know? Um, how, how do you authenticate some of these items? Like, like when you look at them, like, you, you, you would think that people would fabricate a lot of things uh, in the murderbilia market. I just don't know how you would authenticate something like that. Uh, yeah, that's, um, it's a big issue from what I hear. I don't really run into it personally, just because I, I, um, I was collecting stuff for a long time before I started selling anything or trading anything, you know, uh, and I kind of made it a point that I wanted to keep a good reputation. So I wanted to make sure all my stuff was authentic, um, and good quality. <clears throat> so it's kind of a, um, a hobby where if, if people are being shady, you kind of find out pretty fast, you know, like there's, there's only a handful of people I work with personally and buying things or trading things. And I, if I knew where they got, for instance, John, my Gacy paintings, right. They're not, he's not a great artist. It's not like it's, it would be crazy to think to, um, somebody couldn't make one themselves, but you know, there's, there's serial numbers and he had certain painting techniques you can look at. Um, and then finding a good source on who it came from is also a big deal. Uh, uh, because, you know, any anybody could, I could easily paint one or you could easily paint one, like anybody could, right? Um, there's certain things I don't buy because it would be too easy to fake. Like somebody could easily make a, write a fake letter, say, and sign Jeffrey Dahmer and be like, this is a Jeffrey Dahmer letter, it's worth this much, right? Um, for something like that, I always make sure I'm getting it with an envelope and the envelope has prison stamps and postal stamps. So it, you can see when it was sent, you know, um, where it came from, who it went to usually for like a big name, like him collectors kind of know who he mailed to. So you'll recognize the, um, the, the, the name of the person he wrote to, for, for instance, uh, uh, Richard Ramirez, wrote somebody named Mary quite a bit. So you'll see letters to Mary from Richard Ramirez, and they all kind of follow the same uh, conversation lines or the same style of, of dialect. Um, it's hard to really say exactly what it is that you know that that's, that's real or that's fake, but it, it's just like an experience thing, I guess, you know? It's, um, there's, there's, been red flags for me before on certain items and I won't buy those things because I know oh there's a red flag there that's probably fake but certain things like um I'm just looking at some stuff I have in the office here right like uh, uh t-shirts from the the Waco siege you can look at the um stitching and the labels and know when those blank shirts were printed to begin with um and the cell screening techniques or, or newspapers or magazines, people don't fake those. Yearbooks would be like extremely hard to fake. Certain things it's it's it wouldn't be worth the time and the effort, right? Yeah. So whenever it's an item that would be worth doing, like if you know, a letter wouldn't be hard to hard to forge, I guess, if you're a handwriting expert. That's the things that you gotta look a bit more and think, okay, could this have been faked? Who would have done it? Um where is it coming from? Is it somebody who like never has sold anything before? in the true crime world saying, Hey, I got this really crazy expensive thing and I'm selling it for 
so cheap because I don't even know what I have. So here you go. It's probably a bit suspect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, the, the true crime collecting is almost like the old school VHS tape trading in a way where it's like, it's not as easy just to go here, go there. You got to start to know people and like build connections. Is that like, is that part of the thrill of it is kind of like getting into this like community almost? Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> it's from, I guess from the point of somebody who runs a site and sells a lot of stuff, you, you kind of have to be involved with that to really, um, find interesting things, right? Like if I want to uh, diversify my inventory, I'm going to want to know a lot of people who've, uh, let's say I, I know somebody who wrote this certain serial killer in the past and they have these letters or they were friends with this person who worked on the case and they have these items, right? You got to make those connections to find the real, um, the real, like big collections of items or, or, um, you know, to have your authenticity guaranteed, um, as opposed to, I could go on sites and just buy random letters from random people and they'll probably check out. But if I'm looking for like, uh, let's say I want to buy a hundred letters from somebody or 50 letters or a big collection of stuff, then you really got to spend some time doing research and finding the right people and, um, uh, having the money to buy these big collections all at once. Right. Um, other, otherwise it's like, well, for instance, when I was starting out, I would buy just like, I would be trading and buying and getting smaller things or a few items at once. And now I try and do bigger collections right because i'm in canada um it's a lot cheaper to get things shipped all at once so i'll try and buy bigger collections and then part them out over time and then i can trade part of those collections towards other things um and, and yeah if it wasn't for networking and doing that kind of stuff i wouldn't really be able to have a diverse inventory of things that's the only reason i made the jump from cult stuff to true crime was um i met a lot of people who had true crime stuff who were looking interested in cult stuff and then made friends through through those deals and then uh through that i met more people who were into true crime yeah it's, it's a lot of like you were saying with the vhs thing it's a lot of um knowing people and having those kind of um those networking things you know dealing with people who don't use the internet even or people who who are very like paranoid or private and only want to uh uh talk over the phone you know like you gotta you can't just go online to facebook and join a group and meet everybody and get everything you need you know yeah um and to kind of like when did you like decide to become a seller as well as just a collector like when did it go to like all right i kind of want to do this on both ends now uh it was it was a natural kind of evolution i sort of had to at a certain point um I was working at a, at a full-time job, uh, like, like a real full-time regular day job. And on the side, I had been running an eBay store selling collectibles. Um, so it was like stuff I got at thrift stores or I buy, you know, big collections of old video games and part those out. And what, right when that was getting pretty big and I was like, you know what, I could probably do this full-time and it's a bit more fun. You know, I get to kind of go on treasure hunts and go to thrift stores or I, it's all things that I, have experience with and I'm interested in, um, and I'm, I'm my own boss kind of thing, you know? So I started getting towards doing that full time. And then right around that time, I had also been collecting so much stuff, um, true crime related, uh, and cult related that I figured, okay, if I'm going to be doing, <clears throat> if I'm going to be selling this stuff online, I might as well sell a few other things so I can, you know, keep collecting new items. So I'm not just hoarding things in my house. Right. Cause it, with the collectibles too, if I was just buying, buying, buying and never selling anything, I would just, I wouldn't be able to, um, sustain that as a job. So it kind of was like a side project when I started doing my collectible store full time. And then over time, getting more experience with that, I found it was more fun to, um, um, kind of have a niche, focus on a niche, right? Like if I'm looking specifically for true crime and call stuff, there's a lot less out there. So I got to be more creative in finding things and I got to be more creative in sourcing stuff. Um, and at the same time when this was happening, this was the beginning of the pandemic and 
I was working from home already, but I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm working from home, but I'm meeting people all the time to buy things locally and I'm thrifting and stuff. What can I do to kind of stay within my bubble a bit more, stay work more from just from home? Um, and it ended up being the, you know, buying true crime stuff and cult stuff online, just getting it shipped here and then selling it, uh, made more sense for safety reasons too, you know? So it kind of just all these things that, um, naturally evolved and came together and then worked out well. I, I had a good, uh, good eye for this stuff and got kind of lucky that the timing worked out that, um, everybody else was also staying home and shopping online and trading their stuff and selling their collections, you know? So, um, it, honestly, it, this, the, having an actual site and doing it as a job was sort of like a very lucky timing. Um, something I've always been curious when it comes to stuff like this, and, and not just like in this area, but like collectibles in general is like, especially in this area, like what, what, where does the pricing kind of comes from? Like what makes something more valuable than something else? Is it who it is, who they were, what the item is? Like what determines what is worth more than another item? I just make it all up. Oh. <laughs> no, not actually. Uh, I mean, to an extent, some stuff isn't priced, right? You don't really know what's going on. Um, it, yeah, it depends on, on a lot of different things. One of the examples I use a lot is um, Jeffrey Dahmer, right? The Jeffrey Dahmer letters <clears throat> are super expensive. And then finding handwritten letters, not typed one or typed ones, are even more expensive. And the reasons for that is, um, you know, A, it's one of the biggest true crime cases ever, right? Especially in American history. Uh, he was only in prison for two years before he was killed. So in that, t like, if you think... Somebody like, uh, uh, you know, Richard Ramirez was in prison for 20 or 30 years. Like, most people were in prison for a long time before they died or were put to death. Jeffrey Dahmer was in prison for two years. He only hand-wrote a handful of letters, and then he got a typewriter and started typing them. Um, and also, somebody would have had to have been writing him at, in 1992, 1993, 1994, uh, which at that time, you know, collecting wasn't as big of a crime stuff um it was a lot more underground uh, and it wasn't like a big mainstream kind of thing you know there wasn't like netflix there wasn't the true crime kind of culture that's come with podcasts and streaming documentaries and stuff wasn't as big of a thing so whereas now if somebody goes to prison everybody in the world could write them and a lot of people might get a response and there's tons of letters out there um when you're looking at older cases you know a lot of guys a lot of Big names especially, um, they didn't um, have a ton of pen pals or have a lot of stuff get out into the world, right? Um, but it's a lot of factors, because you can say that, and then on the other hand, John Wayne Gacy paintings, for instance, he did a lot of those. There's a lot of them out there. You could you could um, order them through comic books back in the day. There was like, listings in the Bassett comic books where you could buy paintings from prison from him. Um those paintings specifically have become like a pop culture thing. Like it's gone beyond kind of the true crime thing to, uh, you know, there's like, if you look up John McGazy paintings, there's like hundreds of images and hundreds of articles and, and just so much pop culture around that item specifically that those have a high value, even though there's a lot of them, right? When it comes to, um, stuff like Jonestown and Heaven's Gate, the one call specifically, that's totally kind of abstract, you know? I, it, 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 things are only really worth what people will pay for them, right? So a lot of the stuff that I'll that I have, um, I'll pretty much base my price off of, uh, you know, the time and effort and the price that I paid for an item, uh, and then with a bit of room for some profit, right? So I can put that towards buying more stuff for the for the site. Uh, and I've I've had call items that have cost me like a few bucks, like super cheap, because they just happen to come up. And I've had things that I've paid thousands for because I know that they're like one of a kind or super unique. Um, but they're real, it's not like there's any kind of price guide or anything you can really go by. Even on the true crime sites, a lot of the times they won't have a specific, one specific item, right? So yeah, a lot of it is a bit of guesswork and adjusting prices on the go. And um, it's a little more fun than just 
like going and buying a collection of DVDs, and then you can look up online what the DVDs sell for and list them for that price, and that's probably what you're going to get, right? It's a lot more, uh, it's a bit more of a creative pricing process. What sales better? Is it like do serial killers outsell colds? Is it something more niche than that, or is it just kind of like a mix of both and it's kind of random? Yeah, it's all over the map. I think it it depends more on the item specifically as opposed to the event. Um, sorry, the crime or the killer or the cult or whatever. Uh, obviously, like you know, there's like a, a handful of things that are always the top ones, right? There, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, Gacy Ramirez. Um, those are like the ones that always. People are always interested in getting something because it's such a notorious case, right? Um, they're not things that sell instantly, but they're always things people are always asking me for, looking for, like, hey, do you have a Jeffrey Dahmer signature or a John Wayne Gacy painting or a drawing from Richard Ramirez? Um, but when, in terms of, like, what actually sells, it's totally kind of all over the place. I've got... Um, stuff in my inventory that I've had for years and years and years that's never sold. And then one day I could have five people message me saying, hey, I want to buy that from you. Uh, uh, can we bundle it with this or can you give me a deal or whatever? Um, because maybe like a YouTube video came out or, or some documentary or people just like had this thought at the same time, like, oh, this is a thing I'm interested in collecting, right? Um, there, there, yeah, I, I, I think if, we, if I looked at my sales data, I wouldn't find any kind of cohesive... Um, kind of uh, numbers about what's the most popular or what sells the most because big items are the most sought after but they're the most expensive so they take longer to sell so I'll sell more smaller things in the meantime and those smaller cases kind of depend on people's personal uh, uh, you know collections or interests you brought it up a little bit already um, <clears throat> Netflix podcasts we've hit a true crime boom over the last couple of years yeah. like it's pretty crazy like what do you attribute to, and how has that affected your business? Um, I think it's all just, uh, <clears throat> it just. I think it's just the general idea is that it sells well. Like streaming services that are making things like this can make good money off a documentary about a certain killer or a certain cult or whatever. I don't think there specifically was one case or event that caused that. I think it's just that um, people sort of when people saw that that was starting to catch on a lot of people jumped in on it a lot of people started podcasts that got super popular a lot of people um, <clears throat> books even kind of true crime books had a resurgence where like a lot of old books are getting uh, old like kind of classic true crime classics are getting reprinted and re-released um, and then you know when something like a, a, a like a Ted Bundy documentary comes out for instance then it's like, okay, we'll do the documentary, then we can do like a reenactment movie, and then we can have this book republished that used to be published, and that used to be a rare book, and now it's easier to get, so more people are reading it, and they're interested in the case. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a specific thing that, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think there's a specific thing that uh, caused it. Like, for me personally, when the first true crime thing that I remember that was a big deal was Columbine when I was a kid. Um missing in grade four or grade five and like that was the first time i heard about like a true crime story really in the news it was like a a, a big kind of um you can't piece of pop culture and then after that i think i heard about more things more often and then 9-11 was the next thing that was like a big I, I, i'm sure it was different in the states than in canada right but in canada uh uh yeah 9-11 was the next big thing where it was like it changed things in the world and it be, things became so different after that. And then those two specific ones, um, <clears throat> I think maybe, uh, uh, started the big resurgence of, <clears throat> sorry, of, uh, true crime in the media because it was, they were like televised events, like the media coverage, before Columbine for any kind of event like that was so different. It wasn't like live broadcasting of outside of the school with the kids panicking and everything with like to the minute updates of what was happening. And then nine 11 was obviously broadcast live on TV. And that was like another big thing where uh, the way that 
media worked and the internet and social media and that kind of thing was, I don't want to say blowing up because it's a little insensitive, but it was, um, it was ramping up at that time. Um, and I think that, yeah, just with the events being so big in people's heads, especially people my age, those two events are huge. And then <clears throat> you're almost desensitized towards other true crime stuff. Cause it's like, Oh, I saw this happening live. Like, yeah, who cares about this case? That was really impactful. And then it's almost the desensitization has made it so people can just kind of no, you know, like sitting, explain it this here, right? Like sitting and watching TV on nine 11 was like a heavy thing. It was like a big thing. And it felt the world felt weird for a while after that. But now you can sit and watch true crime documentaries all day long on Netflix and not really even be phased, right? Like people are so desensitized towards things that it doesn't have a big impact. It's not like a, it's going to ruin your whole day and then you can't function afterwards or you're going to feel upset for a week. You're just going to move on with your life. And because it's kind of a, uh, such an acceptable piece of media now, a form of entertainment even, um, I think that's why, you know, it's become part of that, like, uh, uh, binging culture where people can just absorb all this stuff and not be phased. And, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I think trying to watch a bunch of true crime documentaries back to back wouldn't have been as easy for somebody, somebody, you know? Yeah. Almost like it's like, you know, we experienced something on such a big level that these little, like micro events don't bother us anymore kind of what you're getting at kind of thing yeah yeah exactly so it becomes more like acceptable to share it and make stories and it's easy to make it's easy to make money off of for people you know um I, i'm talking in terms of like a netflix series or whatever like they know people do this mini series or will do this documentary it's going to make money for sure people are going to watch it and talk about it and then it's going to sell books and it's going to sell magazines um it's just a very marketable thing you know it's like any other kind of collectible or anything it's like star wars or 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 marvel movies or whatever it just gets into the zeitgeist and people are like are comfortable with it and cool with it and just like sure whenever this thing comes out we'll consume all of it and they'll make more because of that um and when it comes to like my my site or true crime sites in general that sell stuff like this it's just a byproduct of of that you know like people are people who are watching more stuff and consuming more stuff and more interested in it are the people that are going to want to start collecting things because you know they have the dvds of their favorite true crime shows or they have all the books now they want to go a bit further and get something that's a little closer to the case you know they want to have relics or 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 letters you know yeah exactly it's like it's almost like like Dahmer, gacy heaven's gate are now just pop culture just as much as anything else oh, yeah. like there's memes and everything about them now mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah uh, speaking of, like, media, and, like, serial killer films or, you know, true crime films in general seems to be like anything else. There, you got to traverse the crap to get to the good. Yeah. What are some of the ones that you think are, like, better than others? Like, I always, like, like as far as a case that, like, you know, we talk about Armin Muez, Marion Doris Cannibal is always one that stuck out to me because it feels like he actually, like, captured the energy of it. Does that make any sense? <clears throat> So what would some of that you like that you think are like actually worth checking out and don't water things down? Um, that's probably one of the best examples. Um, yeah, Cannibal's a great movie. It's super accurate to the story. It's very much um, has the feel of it. Even that that lead guy that Dora casts and everything, the bald dude, yeah. he's really makes that like he has that kind of attitude and the personality of, of Armin in that. Um, and if you read the like, books about that case or stories, it's extremely accurate to what happened. It might be one of the best, um, like, uh, visual representations of exactly what happened with the crime that there is out there. Um, yeah, that one's, that's one of the best for sure. Um, Monster with Charlize Theron is great. It's, fantastic. it's, like, it's obviously more of a mainstream movie, but that's a really, really good like you, you could watch uh, uh, interviews with um, Eileen Ronos and it, and watch that movie next to it, and it, you won't be able to tell the difference. Like it's it's a really good, um, I mean, I want to want a bunch of awards. I think a lot of people know it's really good. Um, there's 
a mini series called uh, You Don't Know Jack about Jack of Orkian, starring um, Al Pacino, I think, <clears throat> which is super great. It's John Goodman and Al Pacino are in it. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. It's not a movie, but that's fantastic. It's like it's the same kind of thing where it's like you might as well be watching interviews with him because he does it so accurate to what it was like in real life. Um, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of garbage, like you were saying, like there. Um, you know the ones. There's like the the those movies that all have the same director. There's a Gacy one and a Dahmer and a oh. Bundy, and they all have the same style of cover. Um, I think there's a Camper one as well. They're all kind of super corny and not really great. Um, there's the was you it got, Ooey movies as well that Lionsgate put out there for a while. You remember those? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those were heinous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of not great stuff. Um, there aren't many super super like amazing examples that I could think of, besides from cannibal like you said um there's a lot of movies that were inspired by true crime cases that are good um uh what's the one violated angels mm. the uh japanese one inspired by uh, richard speck yeah that, that's great but uh, yeah like like in terms of accurate to the crime realistic sort of things um i think anybody who knows the the Armin Leibis case, uh, it's it's like a complete parallel to what actually happened, you know? Yeah. You think, there isn't much that doesn't do it. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, do you think there's so many bad ones because it's just like, you can just slap Ted Bundy on the case and boom, it's sold. Like, oh, yeah. It's yeah, just easy. easy. It, yeah. The big cases, the big mainstream, I mean, there are good movies too. Like, My Friend Dahmer was good. Mm -hmm. It It isn't like uh uh you know it's not really necessarily a horror movie it's sort of like a, a, a reenactment of his younger life um but whenever you can do it like a make a horror movie or make like a, a gory thing or just like an edgy piece of content even so i should say uh like the, the edgy films are really easy to make uh and they um yeah they tend to I guess do fine because they make a lot of money, but people don't really put the quality into it um, that some of the cases deserve. You know, like, the, the actual, these actual crimes and actual cases are crazy. The things that happen, and if if they could kind of commit that to film in a more realistic way or a more um, honest way, even it would be great. But uh, it doesn't happen too often. Yeah. And, when, and when it does happen, like, like Mindhunter, for instance, had a lot of really well done parallels to like real criminals and real crimes and stuff. And then it got canceled mm -hmm. um, because, you know, for whatever reason. But I, I think that they don't really put that kind of quality into um, the serious content. It goes more into the edgy kind of over the top content. Yeah. Uh you know, while we're on the topic of films, I definitely want to talk about Issei Sagawa. Because I think that's mm -hmm. kind of like where we first started talking was you messaged <laughs> about yeah. Issei Sagawa movies. Um, where did you, for people who don't know, he's the Japanese cannibal who murdered and ate someone in France while at uh, mm -hmm. university. Where did you first hear about the case? And then where did you kind of come across the movies and decide that you wanted to offer them to people? just like endlessly fascinating all the weird stuff that i find from that um so vice put out a documentary um i'm gonna look really quick to find out when that came out yeah because that was like the, the starting point for me uh i can't remember close to 10 years ago now yeah around that. yeah i remember anyway, it they came put out. a documentary is really good it's like half hour but it's just an interview with him and kind of talking about his life and it's sort of like um i wouldn't say like the finale of his life or wrapping it up but when they did this documentary like he had already done all his books and done all his movies and um it was sort of like a a, a summary of his life and his career since what happened since his crimes but i was like well they you know there's so many books in this um documentary that he talks about 
there's so many movies that he talks about being in like there's just endless things to research so i started getting really into that um quite a while ago like when that came out and researching it a bit and learning the names of some of his books and then over time i started making some contacts in japan or finding certain websites where i could find some of his stuff um you know used bookstores and vintage places uh and i started collecting some of his books and um you know occasionally i find his artwork for sale uh and then the movies is where i got like super interested and i was like okay i want to start collecting all these i want to archive them because they're not released anywhere yeah um that was um the first thing i found was a vhs tape of the um the sagawa olympics as a as it was kind of nicknamed it's not the actual name of the tape but um somebody i know in france had a copy of it and i said hey send it over here i can digitize that because i uh um the library by my house had a set up to digitize tapes uh this was before i even started the website uh, so I digitized it and sent it back to him because he hadn't even seen it. He didn't have a VCR, so he had the digital copy, and then I had it, and I was like, this is really neat. Um, it was just like, yeah, him showing off some of his art and competing at sports and just doing weird little things and skits. Uh, and then I found out through that about the fact that he had done cameos in a bunch of movies, so I started kind of trying to compile a list of all the things he had cameos in and things that he had notable cameos in. And then I found a movie that was like a, a sort of a uh, kind of like a Japanese pink film retelling of his crime, but it was a, a Italian film that was in English, I believe. Um, and I was like, oh, there's you know, there's movies about him. There's movies with him in it. There's porn movies that he made. Two of those. Um, and yeah, that was just like, it was like such an interesting wormhole of this guy who. Um, did a crime and then became a bit of a media sensation and for whatever reason you know there's like this whole network of of uh, 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 like an endless amount of media videos and documentaries and movies and stuff you know there's, there's small BBC documentaries that were done um, this goes on forever if you're looking into it I think I have like seven full-length movies and or documentaries right now um there's two or three that i'm still looking for but finding any of those original tapes is extremely expensive and takes a ton of time uh and especially for the adult content it's really hard to get out of japan i've had yeah. a lot of issues trying to import things um a lot of sellers are worried about custom regulations right so i haven't been able to find everything yet but yeah that's kind of been my passion project for the past two years or so is to try and compile all the media I can. And I've been doing DVDs, releasing the small runs DVDs just because it, um, first of all, it costs an obscene amount to get the movies imported here. So it, it, um, takes a bit of that cost off of me, which is good to sell copies of it, but also nobody's ever seen these things. Like yeah. they're just, people have saw them in the 90s on VHS in Japan a couple of times and that's about it like it's never been outside of there yeah and they're probably never going to get any kind of release any other way so no <laughs> there's just yeah, no way no, no. <laughs> yeah it's not I, I figure putting some of those things in DVDs who's going to be concerned about you know a copyright issue there yeah. like there's nobody who's going to um, there's no company now who's going to be like hey we produced that 20 years ago and we're still so proud of that thing we did that we want to we want to publicly come out and say it and come after you for it you yeah know, like. <laughs> the uh the one that i i watched a bit of that blew my mind was the sagawa olympics because like the beginning of it starts like a documentary and like they're showing like crime scene photos and stuff like that and then the dude is just in like a track suit and he's like doing like how far can he jump and they're making fun of him i'm like this is insane <laughs> like the fact this exists is insane mm-hmm. but, it's, it's really weird that that one specifically is like um just two guys who wanted to make a weird video and and that's something i notice a lot with like with um looking for like japanese horror movies even or just old weird japanese films is that a lot of it was just a couple of couple of dudes 
who made this thing and put it out in a small run on tape and that was it and they never thought about it again right yeah like those guys have done other things i'm sure but um yeah it's just like two guys paid him to do some sports and to hang out and to do some weird little skits um i think just because they thought he was like an oddity so it was like an, an just like a little odd thing mm. i'm not sure if they had like a certain like if they had a shop where they sold it or they knew people who wanted to distribute it who were just doing like weird kind of counterculture stuff but yeah that's a you don't see that with like criminals in the states people making weird little mixtapes of them yeah doing challenges and skits you know it's so tonally weird because like i said at the beginning of it's like so serious and then it just becomes a straight comedy Mm -hmm. i could imagine like them doing something in the states like trying that like how that would go over like it would be they'd be crucified immediately (laughs) uh is there any plans to put out some more sagawa stuff in the future yeah there's there's three tapes that i have um I've got like a spreadsheet where I have any kind of names or search terms in Japanese that I need and titles and co-stars and just like anything I can really do to search for um, the videos because I can't, you can't just type in like Isisagawa movies and find them, right? Yeah. Um, I've got a whole bunch of like search keys and, and sites bookmarked and stuff, um, but it's really just a waiting game a lot of the time. There's there's two tapes that I'm sorry, three tapes that I'm looking for right now. Two of them are just small cameos. One of them's like a full on movie with him in it. But um Yeah, they're all um two of them aren't aren't notable. They're just random small budget movies that he happens to have a small cameo in, so they're not <clears throat> they're only hard to find because they weren't necessarily popular, you know? It was it would be like finding like a, a, a made for tv movie at a thrift store right like it just didn't happen a lot and then the other one is is um stars him he's on the cover but that one a you know i've never seen a copy for sale i've only seen a couple of people who actually own a copy um when i've talked to those people they said they didn't have it anymore it was like 10 years ago when they owned it and um i don't even know if i'd be able to import it to canada because I, i the past two or three years I've been having a lot of kind of proxy sites or, or buyers be like, Hey, you know, we're not comfortable sending this because <clears throat> we think it might get denied by customs and then they're going to lose money on shipping it to me. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean maybe over the next five or 10 years, I'll find all three of those, but I think it's just, it's just a matter of like waiting. So somebody, some independent seller happens to list it and I happen to see it and they don't mind sending it and the customs doesn't seem to care. You know, it's, uh, just just sitting around waiting right now. I did a lot of hustling and working to get everything compiled. And I got, I think I found four movies and put up three DVDs, one of them has two on it, um, of hard-to-find things. And now it's just waiting for the other ones, you know? Yeah. Uh, on your side also, you have a few, like, mixtapes, per se, of, like, some, like, oddball, like, extreme street art and stuff like that and, like, live performances and things like that. Uh, talk about a little bit about those and like maybe the mixtape uh, scene in general. Like, what your thoughts on that is? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was really into Traces of Death when I was a kid. I thought it was super cool. And um, just any of those. Um, I really like like weird, weird videos and like like things you find on YouTube that have like a hundred views and have been there for fifteen years. You know, just like weird kind of content. Um, so I've had like this kind of backlog of, of weird or unsettling videos in my head that I've just known about for a while that, um, the two, the two mixtapes I put out essentially were just like, Oh, I'm going to compile some of these weird things that I know about. Um, because everyone else has done it essentially, you know, mm. like, like I've seen, I've seen a ton of mixtapes. I, I, I don't really like the ex- extreme hardcore, just gore and black metal, compilations like it's not anything exciting to me but i like weird stuff like just like weird uncomfortable strange videos you don't know where they came from and nobody's really um um sure exactly what is going on necessarily you know which is like uncomfortable weird content um so those were just two things that i i i I cut together a couple of videos or a couple of mixtapes um 
yeah, just to kind of share this weird stuff that I've kind of had backlogged in my head for years, videos that I think about every once in a while, where I'm like, where did that even come from? Like, what is this even? Um, I'm really a fan of that kind of stuff. I don't, I'm, I'm like, ensuring your place in health, for instance, is weird. It's not necessarily like a horrifying, shocking movie, but it's just super weird content, super strange video. Um, that's what I've always been interested in. It's just like the weird and the oddities and the and the um, uncomfortable, you know? So yeah, those are just, I've got a couple of compilations that are just, one is extreme performance art. It's just like weird, dark kind of um, art projects people have done. And the other one is just the compilation of um, just bullshit, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. You've also started up a fanzine that you're offering through your Patreon. Talk about how uh, where mm-hmm. that idea for that started, and you know what can we expect from that in the future as well. Um, so I've had I have so much stuff here in my collection, and I just I not even just um like letters from killers, but you know old magazines that nobody's seen the articles of. You you wouldn't have ever seen the article unless you owned the physical magazine, right? Or newspaper clippings, um, just a lot of like, interesting media, and I wanted to kind of compile some stuff together to be like to, just just to sort of um, uh, get it out there, so to say. You know, like people haven't seen this stuff, people are interested in it. There's a, there's a few other like true crime kind of zines zines that are out there that um, uh, are, are super interesting to read. Um, and I wanted to sort of compile some of the stuff I had because I've got so many interesting letters and so many, uh, uh, rare documents, um, that I like to, you know, read personally when I'm looking through my collection. Um, so that was just essentially like, Hey, I'll, you know, I'll put some of this together. I'll put it as a incentive on my Patreon because I've already, um, had some people on there and I wanted to, uh, you know, just share some interesting stuff, essentially. Um, I did an issue, and then it had so much, it had a lot of good feedback, so I made a second issue that was twice the length. I've got the third one already done, um, and a fourth one I have submissions for already. Um, it's kind of just like, I, I don't really make money on it, and it's just for fun, essentially. People are submitting artwork and submitting articles they wrote, I've got some horror interviews coming up in the in the third issue. Um, yeah, it's it's like a little fun side project, you know. <clears throat> so, certain parts of my business of the true crime site of pulp collectibles or whatever are like you know so I can run and operate a business and pay my bills and stuff. But a lot of it is just like because it's fun and I enjoy doing it, you know. Like the, all the original T-shirts I print or the stickers or designs or even the, the movie releases, it's just stuff that I enjoy I'm doing for fun because um, doing this as a job kind of gives me a bit of freedom to do fun stuff as well as uh, uh, the work stuff, you know? Yeah. To get to some general questions, uh, you talk about being a horror fan. What, what mm-hmm. kind of, what kind of movies are you into? Uh, a lot of stuff. I'm a, I've always been a big film, film buff kind of person. Like uh, I've always been really into movies. Um, when I was a kid, like I was saying, my brother and I were really into horror movies. We watched, um, we were really into the uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series, and um, <clears throat> you're really into Japanese, like bigger Japanese films, like like Ringu or, or The Grudge, Juon. Um, and yeah, I think that as uh, that just kind of stuck with me as I grew up. I was really into um, horror. Uh, uh, like the 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 classics, so to say, you know, like the the fly where you make and the thing and um, Alien and Aliens, <clears throat> kind of the big ones. And then the sort of turning point for me was um, uh, Martyrs, the original, the French movie. Uh, I saw Martyrs and it was like unlike anything I had ever seen. It was just like relentless. Like it's just nonstop. Um. I had seen like glory movies before and offensive movies, but it's just like nonstop, relentless, upsetting and gory and 
dark and it's also got a really good story and it's enjoyable to watch you know and I was I was I was surprised to see something that was so extreme but also enjoyable um and then from that it sort of just uh I got more into extreme stuff which is kind of how I found you guys was just um I had a big collection and I was like I bet there's stuff that's not as well known and not as popular that I'm missing out on um so I started kind of researching more dark extreme movies like I watched all the French extremity stuff and then um sorry I'm losing my train of thought a bit here because I'm just thinking of movies 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 Mm -hmm. but but, yeah it's been that's been like a thing my whole life and then ever since Martyrs I've been really in lean towards more of like the heavier darker stuff because it's just um I'm always super interested to see what um, people can do with that. I, you know, I don't really like things that are just obscene and offensive and gory just for the sake of doing it. But I like when people can take something so extreme and make it into a like a really cool, entertaining thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and a general question we like to ask everybody. Because I think people are interested in it. What, what to you is the most disturbing movie ever made? Um, it's a, I, I think everyone obviously has a different answer for that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, I think it's 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 super subjective. I don't know if I have a specific thing I can point to. Like, I'm um. I really, like, I love animals, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have cats that love animals. Um, and I also love Cannibal Holocaust, which has, obviously, real animal death in it, right? Yep. But that's a lot of controversy. But Milo and Otis, the Disney film <laughs> yeah. about the dog and the cat, has more animal death than Cannibal Holocaust does. But not a single person ever talks about that being a controversial movie, you know? Yeah. Not a single person is like, well, they killed all those kittens, that was terrible, like... Nobody cares or even seems to really be aware about that, right? Um, I, 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 yeah, I think it is, it's such a subjective thing, it's hard to narrow down because that, like, that to me is a worse movie because they did worse things during the production. But um, since it's not, you know, necessarily shown, I don't think it's too bad. Um, I, I, it, it's hard to pinpoint what it would be like the most disturbing for me personally, just because, um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to get a good answer for you. That's not just like, (laughs) it's a tough question. The movie that disturbed me the most was Mars attacks. When I was a kid, it terrified me. I had nightmares for like, like I literally had nightmares for years about the aliens from Mars attacks. It was it was the first time I've ever seen like a movie that had like a traumatic effect where it like, affected me and made me um, upset long term, um, which I'm obviously over now as an adult. But uh, yeah, when it comes to like um, ranking, like oh, is is uh, Fubar worse than uh, Traces of Death or worse than Most Deprived Person on Earth or or solo or those kind of things. Like it's, it's to me when you get to a point, it doesn't, um, there's a point where it doesn't get worse, you know, like it's just bad. Yeah. Um, or it's just bad content in terms of, um, you know, it's extreme or dark or negative or gross or gory, just over the top shocking for the sake of it. Um, it doesn't really, um, uh, in that regard, I don't really get, disturbed too much because I just know like okay it's just it's the most extreme of the extreme whatever like I'm desensitized to this I could see it in this movie or that movie yeah the only movies that have really disturbed me and had a long term effect were Mars Attacks and then um Skinned Deep you ever seen Skinned Deep Skinned Deep which one is that one it's like um it's like this backwoods hillbilly movie um let me see the date on it I watched it when I was in high school, and it was just like 
the first kind of um like low budget independent horror movie that I watched that was from two thousand four. It's got like Warwick Davis in it. Yes. He plays like yeah, he throws the plates. Yes, I have that on Blu-ray actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There was like like a big Blu-ray set, or a nice Blu-ray edition that came out recently. That movie when I was a kid, I don't know what it was, but when I was in high school, I just thought it was it was the, the weirdest horror movie I had seen at the time, and I was uncomfortable. Like there's the the bodybuilder without a head, yes, and he's talking while he's like flexing and stuff, and then there's that guy with the huge brain, and there's a, like scenes where he's running around naked in New York City. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know what it was, but for some reason after I watched that the first time, I was like really just upset with the content for a long time, and it's not it's not like a notably over-the-top gory movie or dark movie it's just for whatever reason that the bad acting and the weird story and everything about it just made me uncomfortable for a long time i could definitely see that like sometimes weird is disturbing you know it's like, yeah it exactly have... yeah yeah those are the kind of things that always really got me was like uh, like you can you can make a list of the most disturbing films by content you know but in terms of actually having a reaction towards it yeah it's always been like weird uncomfortable things it's like a racer like a racer head's more disturbing than most movies and nothing really happens in it yeah exactly yeah it's one of the, i'm sure a lot of people have that and they they um my mom has a great story about when she was younger <clears throat> when it came out in theaters she was in college and one of her friends like oh we gotta let's all take acid and go see this movie oh shit like in theaters it's so crazy it's called a racer so they all went i took acid and saw it and it's like a it's like a very psychedelic kind of movie almost right like it's just it's got that weird ambience of, of a psychedelic film that i can imagine would like be mess you up forever seeing that on acid or, or for the first time in a theater not only what it is um yeah the things that are always have been disturbing to me was things that I, I didn't know what they were really going into it and i just had a weird feeling from it uh leaving you know yeah well before we uh before we wrap everything up, is there anything you want to plug, talk about anything? Um, I guess check out the site called collectibles.org and my Instagram called collectibles too. Um, I've been from the past over the past six months transitioning to this being my like full time job. So I, I put a lot more time into finding things and a lot more time into creating content and putting things out. Um, I did an interview. With Fox News that comes out next month, which should be funny. Um, I haven't really done much media stuff before. I've done a few podcasts, but uh, I had like a, a Southern Fox News affiliate call me, and the guy's like, "Hey, we're doing a big piece on murderabilia, and we're gonna have people who oppose it in the video, and we want to have you talking about your stuff." So that's my first like video on-screen appearance that I've ever done for anything regarding the site. Um, so that's gonna I'm gonna make like a big event of that on my Instagram just because it's gonna be I'm sure it's gonna be um, funny I'm sure it's gonna be like a look at this terrible shit how could people do this kind of stuff uh, things um, but yeah that's about it I mean if if you're ever anyone's ever looking for any true crime or cult stuff specifically like oh I'm interested in this weird case or I want to buy a thing from this guy uh, please feel free to contact me through the site. Um, that's what I do. I, I, a lot of the stuff I'm doing recently is is you know tracking down specific items for people. Um, <clears throat> I, I list tons of stuff on the website, but I also do a lot of work in just like helping people find certain items or things from certain names um, and doing private sales because a lot of stuff you can't just Google and find online. You got to put a bit of work into it. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. That's all I've been doing recently. I'll be hopefully working on this and building this over the next few years and have it. I, I think currently I'm probably the biggest site in Canada doing this stuff, but I'd like to be able to have some quantifiable um, statistics about it being the biggest site running for true crime memorabilia. So all the support is uh, appreciated. Um, um, I have one final question, and I feel like mm -hmm. most collectors have their holy grail item. Like, I know John and I have our items that we're like, oh, we want this, but it's so hard to come by. What is that for you when it comes to movies and uh, true crime mem mem memorabilia? Um, <clears throat> movies, probably that last Sagala tape, 
is the big thing that I've been after for a long time. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's like so many other things in my collection. I've been like, oh, I'm never going to get this. And then I ended up getting a copy. So that kind of feels like it's the next item where I'm like, I've been looking for a long time and I'm like, oh, I'm never going to find it. It's never going to pop up. And then eventually it will at some point. So um, I'm kind of trying to manifest that happening in the future that I can find that. Um, in terms of true crime stuff, um, I've always wanted one of the um, Ohm Shinrikyo electric helmets. They mm-hmm. they had like um, they're the Japanese Doomsday Cult that did the Tokyo gas attacks, and they have like they have lots of books they put out. They have an anime, they have manga, they have all this like T-shirts and merch. They had actual stores in Japan where they sold stuff. Um, but there's some things that were like specific to the compounds or like specific to people who were practitioners that they had like, uh, uh, or members, sorry. Uh, and they had these like, <clears throat> these like blue fabric helmets with all these electrodes and they would put them on and like electrocute their skulls, um, for some kind of meditation thing. And I, I don't know if any even exist anymore. Um, I think they were like thousands of dollars back in like the nineties and the eighties when the cult was running. So I don't know if anyone ever kept them. Um, And then also the thing with that that I think about a lot is that even if I could find somebody who had one, I don't know if it would be able to get shipped here because it's just like a helmet with all, it's like a hand, they're all handmade electronic devices with all these wires and crazy things. And it would just be like the sketchiest thing ever to get shipped across the border Um, or internationally on a plane. You know, I, I don't know how the, electronics worked or what the device actually was or if there's batteries or what <clears throat> so I, I i if I, whenever it did come up i don't even know if i ever be able to leave japan but that's yeah. probably the number one because it's just like uh it's sort of like a forbidden fruit like even if i could somehow find it i don't know if i could even physically get it here well once again man we really appreciate you coming on and always being really cool with us but uh everybody needs to go check out cultcollectibles.com follow you on instagram cult collectibles and uh yeah, we really appreciate it, man. Thank you, thank you very much, and thanks for running the ad. I've um, I got a little ad recorded, and I sent it to a couple of people who were like, "Oh, we're gonna put it on a thing," and it, I just keep seeing it pop up on podcasts in my feed, which is really great because it's like a uh, yeah, it's nice to have support from people who just are uh, doing it because they enjoy what I do. So thanks for that. Not a problem. Thank you, sir.